This podcast is part of the Podcavern Network. Check out other Podcavern shows at podcavern.com. Today, Moth and Cicada forget things. If you're new to the podcast, you could check out the archives on the website and listen to the episodes you've missed. The address is in the show notes. You don't have to, of course, but this is the kind of story where details add up. Welcome to the fourth episode of The Moth Collection. The Moth Collection. Episode 4. By the Waterhole. The tribe sat huddled around the pitiful fire, stealing fearful glances at the waterhole some ten meters away. On the still surface of the water, the sun was a perfect circle of washed-out pink. In the sky, it shone blood-red, and the heavens were a dirty orange behind the slashed ribbons of brown clouds. The air was ripe with the stench of decay and dread but the tribe had never known anything else. This was the smell of the world. The tree that grew near the hole was sickening, and though it was not quite dead yet, it had stopped sprouting leaves some two years earlier. Perhaps ten. Time was untold here. Birds with no eyes nested in the tree's gnarled branches. When the birds sang, the tribe cowered. The song was an endless scream of pain and loneliness. Human bones rested pell-mell at the foot of the dying tree. Those the tribe left in peace. Touch the bones and join them. Leave them as a warning and make it through the night. That was the law of drop, and drop was the law. The tribe's warriors had their spears sharpened and their slings oiled, but the wars were over. The warriors were hunters now. The other tribes were all gone. The bones were mostly theirs. Those that had not left bones behind to warn others had gone another way, disappearing over Drop's threshold, far across the plain, in the Phantom City. Or was it actually quite close? Distances changed from day to day. I'm thirsty, moaned the ancient. Will not one of you take pity on me and fetch me a little water? You had a drink yesterday, said the woman they called Curls, as she sharpened her knife against a large stone. Third one this week, you greedy bastard. And drop, never showing up. You want to push your luck some more? You go to the hole. The ancient stuck out his tongue through his cracked lips, but the others grunted in agreement. We're going to the city for the praise tomorrow, said Half-Nose, gesturing westward with his spear. They all knew it, but Half-Nose organized everything. He did it well, and the price was that he told people about things, repeatedly. After that, we can all have a drink in peace, thank Drop. They all suddenly sniffed at the air, all but Half-Nose, who lost his sense of smell with the half of his nose that the cling moss had rotted away. He just stared at them all, puzzled. The scent was... well, it was unsmelled in this place, and the members of the tribe lacked the words to describe it. But they knew they wanted to keep it in their nostrils forever, just as they realized, with bitter disappointment that it was already vanishing. A beautiful woman stepped out from behind the tree, and they all scrambled for their weapons. She had red hair, and her face was elaborately made up. She was obviously strong. She moved well and lithely. Her clothes were like the aroma that had accompanied her arrival, indescribable, yet desirable. This is not Ottawa. Moth muttered to herself. She shivered in her business suit. 
It was not exactly cold, but it was colder than it was supposed to be, and if the job ran on a bit, it would become unpleasant. She angrily made a note. Her breath caught in her throat. The note was not sending. With her hand on her searer, the bedraggled band around the fire was starting to look a little less startled and a little more aggressive. She tried again. No, the notes system was out of commission. That had never happened before. Her hands tightened into fists. Who are you? asked one of the men, the one with most of his nose missing. He was gesticulating with a wooden spear. Moth gave them a quick but thorough examination. Five men, four women. The youngest was probably in his late teens, and the oldest was a man in his seventies, she reckoned. They seemed only half alive, starving, disease-ridden, riven with wounds. Their clothes were mostly rags, their original shape and colors lost to memory. Best befriend the locals, until Flea arrived at any rate. She tried to give them a winsome smile. The effect was spoiled somewhat when the blind birds gave a stabbing wail and she nearly jumped out of her skin. My name is Moth, she called out, flustered. Let us be friends. I think I will need help. You don't look in need of help exclaimed a woman with curly hair that would have been blonde had it been clean. I've never seen anyone like you. A timid pause. You look like an angel. The others nodded as though this was a reasonable suggestion. Are you? Are you an angel of drop? A young man wearing a sort of soiled serape asked her. The old man sitting with them was having none of it. By the water, you lot are stupid, he jeered. A fine and healthy figure is all you need to see an angel now? Has Drop ever sent us an angel before? Drop shows up by herself, takes care of us by herself, and does everything else by herself. Drop is all and all is Drop. You know that, you galoots. This is just a new one. Moth shook herself. There was something here. She could feel it working on her. By force of habit, she made a note, only to remember that she couldn't. Only to remember. She'd only found out the system was down less than three minutes ago, surely. Something shimmered in the distance. It looked like... It looked like... Houses. Farmsteads. 18th century. Around a low-steepled church. People. Cattle. Horses pulling a carriage, glass windows glinting in the red sun. She looked again. Gone, all of it. Winked out. Now it was just low brush and a few solitary grey trees shuddering in the wind. Your friend is right, she said with more calm than she felt. I am no angel. I'm sorry. I'm not from around here, and to be frank, I am not where I am supposed to be. She let her hand stroke her searer. Hear me, please. I don't mean any one of you harm, and I can, I will, defend myself. Better for us all to work together, I think you'll find. The disfigured man drew himself up, more for his companion's benefit than for hers. Big words for one woman, alone, with no weapons. Moth unholstered the searer in one sinuous movement and shot at a rock near their circle. The very rock Curls had been using as a whetstone, in fact. She hardly knew what had come over her. This went considerably against protocols, but the mission was not a normal one. It had gone off the rails the minute she'd stepped off the slide. She had known bad briefs, but this looked like the wrong brief. Moth waited for the hysteria to recede, slowing her own breath like Cicada had shown her. It wasn't easy. The thought of Cicada still stung. 
I'm waiting for someone, she announced. If, when, when he arrives, we will find a way to leave you in peace. You will not see us again. This sort of magic can defend you against us, Curls cried out. But it will call drop. And if you think it can defend you against drop... Moth shrugged. She holstered the searer and walked toward them, hands raised, palms out. Spears wavered irresolutely in her direction and finally dropped toward the ground. She was allowed to approach. She sat down by the fire. She was grateful for the thin flames in the chilly orange air. Without quite realizing it, she began whistling, a sure sign of her disquiet. Something jaunty. Mozart's third horn concerto. You could always whistle or hum Mozart. His melodies didn't need harmonies to hold their shape. After an awkward moment, the tribe sat with her. This close, the muck on their skin looked like tree bark. They all reeked so powerfully she could almost touch the smell. She did her best to keep the disgust off her face. Tell me about Drop, she said. They talked for over two hours, by Moth's reckoning, and all the while she felt as though she were in church. The Ancient was the chief storyteller, though most of the others jumped in a few times with comments and precisions. Half-nose as well as the young man in the doubtful Serapi, they called him handsome, a somewhat charitable appellation, interrupted more often, they possessed a wealth of details they were determined to sprinkle over the tale. Half-Nose, in particular, struck her as a clever fellow, wasted in a hole like this. The explanations were jumbled, ranging from resigned to strident, but they were laced all the way through with religious overtones. They told her about the tribal wars, they told her about the fate of heroes and villains, they unfolded the tales of many of the bones strewn and buried at the roots of the dying tree, and behind every story was the shadow of drop. And though they spoke and spoke and spoke some more, when the stories finally petered out, Moth had the stark impression they had not told her everything. The tribe's noses all went sniffing again, and she knew Flea had arrived, even before the smell of almonds dipped in sugar had reached her. He came out looking puzzled, then anxious, and finally relieved when his eyes fell on her. He was wearing the same kind of business suit she was. The eyeless birds let out a blood-curling hoot, and Flea went the color of cheese. This is not Ottawa, he said. Moth called out to the tribe. My friend Flea and I have a few things to discuss by ourselves. Wait for us, and don't go doing anything stupid. What the hell happened here? Flea wondered aloud when they were out of earshot. His lanky frame swayed a little. He looked badly rattled to her. You know those really crazy ones Spider is always talking about? She said. I think we found one. Flea fixed her with a vacant stare, wringing his long, thin hands. He'd only just arrived, but his brown hair was already getting plastered down over his forehead. When Flea got nervous, he sweated, regardless of the actual temperature. Moth frowned in spite of herself. She liked Flea well enough, but she had always idly questioned whether he really was cut out for the job. He'd got his net posting just under a year after she'd obtained hers. His ascension, however, had not exactly been as meteoric as her own. This was their fourth or fifth team-up, and Moth wondered if this would be the one when he finally lost it. A tremor in his pupils. He was looking at the air. When his eyes found hers again, he appeared even more shaken. The notes don't work, she agreed. He tried to contact collection, protocols be damned. 
She was a bit of a stickler for the rules, so she hadn't done that. But she had an idea that it would be useless anyway. Which it was. Flea was starting to look wild. Time to nip this. Stay with me, Flea. We're in trouble, let's not kid ourselves, but we're hardly going to help our situation by freaking out. We stay in the moment, we get out of this. And then we report to... We report to... to... She took a deep, baffled breath and gave herself a shake. To the dispatcher, she concluded, uncertain. To collection, Flea corrected her. Yes, of course. Sorry. Damn, we are in trouble. She swallowed. I can feel it working on me, and it's got to be working on you as well. She trailed off. She was thinking of Cicada. She didn't want to forget about Cicada. These people, she started again, are under the thumb of a discrepancy who calls herself Drop. They're all terrified of her. None of them knows how long they've been here. The containment is not ours. We're in a displacement. Part of this division has been brought to the voids. Time here is in the worst distension I've ever experienced. Furthermore, we missed this discrepancy for so long, there are going to be ruptures everywhere. I've seen one already. Drop has had time to go full loopy and to poke holes in everything. Right, Flea rasped. We find her, we sear her. This was a goal, not a plan, of course. Still, it was good to agree on the end game. Two. Later that day, when the sun was about to touch the darkened line of the west, limning the spires of the city, Flea and Moth shared their rations with the tribe. The reaction was considerable, hardly surprising. The rest of the meal was soft roots and unidentified nuts, chopped fine into a sort of salad covered in the painstakingly expressed juice of a blue flower's stem, as well as some species of rodent cooked on a spit and shared more or less equitably. Flea declined with a wave, but Moth decided to be companionable and had a small bite. It was all right. No water, though. We have a few things to ask Drop, said Moth as she chewed. How do we meet her? Curls barked a derisive laugh. You just show up. It's better to meet Drop on her terms, said the Ancient. You don't want her to come looking for you. In the city, offered Half-Nose, you'll meet Drop, I promise you, at the praise. Have a care, however. You do anything that visits Drop's wrath on me and mine. Flea finally broke the long, awkward silence that followed by announcing that he was thirsty. He stepped toward the waterhole, looking through his emergency pouch for a purification tablet. Moth was astonished to hear them all gasp. Handsome swung the flap of his serape over his shoulder, broke into a sprint, and restrained Flea with a hand on the arm. Respectful enough, but very firm. The birds shrilled frenziedly, and Moth felt her bowels turn to mush. I can't stop you from going for a drink, friend, the young man panted. But you have to understand how things work here. Flea and Moth looked blank. Getting a drink calls to drop, Handsome went on. Drop takes care of us, she provides, and the water is hers, and hers alone. Getting a drink... It's a gift from Drop, you see, explained Curls. It's better to wait for her permission. How do you get her permission? Moth asked, then added in rising horror as understanding dawned on her. How often does she give her permission? Not every day, don't you know, cackled the Ancient. His voice rose. Not that I'm complaining, but there you are. Not every day. We all sneak a drink at the waterholes when it gets bad, said Curls very softly, looking around and peering uneasily into the distance. It's usually safe enough, unless... Unless it isn't, 
said Halfnose. Sometimes, not very often, but sometimes, Drop notices the unsanctioned drink. You take a drink, or you go get water for someone else without petitioning for it. <sighs> no one will stop you, but the consequences will be yours alone. How does Drop know? Through the water. Drop is the water, and the water is Drop. Remember this well as you take your place among us. Moth slowly led the air out of her lungs. Curls took another magazine from the stack under a tarpaulin and threw it on the fire. Three. The pink sun was daubed thin the next morning. As they walked from waterhole to bone-strewn waterhole, Moth felt thirstier than she'd ever been in her life. She knew, however, that this was mostly an effect of her distressed mind. Some of their brothers and sisters did sneak a quick, nervous drink when they stopped. She did not. Not yet. Her body did not truly need it yet. Drop never appeared, and the tribespeople always acted as though this, going unnoticed, was the greatest boon their god could bestow. The waterholes all had names, and were the only important landmarks to the tribe outside of Drop's city. Circling birds marked them clearly. The blind birds didn't need Drop's permission to drink. At some point after the midday meal, her hand brushed against her searer. She felt a disquieting absence in her mind. Flee. This weapon. How... How do you disengage the safety? She asked sheepishly. I seem to have forgotten. His face ashen, he showed her. She nodded. It did come back to her at least. On the second day, Flea came to her with a similar request. He couldn't open his last ration pack. She did it for him. It took her a bit longer than usual as the day was chilly and her hands felt thick and clumsy. Thank you, he said. Thank you. He glanced at her face, then at her increasingly disheveled hair. Red? You're welcome, answered Red. The way is longer than usual this time, I think, Curls announced, unprompted. Yeah, grunted Half-Nose in surly agreement. Walk. It keeps you warm. On the third day, they saw an obvious rupture. In other circumstances, both Red and Flea would have identified it in a minute. A patch of early 21st century Montreal floated past them. There was St. Catherine Street, which had seen better days, festooned with Christmas decorations. People dressed in winter clothing walked past the stores, many of which were shuttered. There was only a little snow, and it flickered in and out of existence as the rupture snaked its tattered way across the brownish wasteland. The tribe ignored it, but Red couldn't help whispering to Flea, I'm supposed to recognize this, Lanky. I know I am, but I'm not sure I understand what I'm looking at. Lanky had to think about it for a moment before he answered tentatively, it's a hole in the worlds. I think Drop makes it happen. Could we flee through it? I don't think so. We're here. We'd be there if we stepped in, but we'd come back here when it drifted away again. I think... She didn't want to risk it. Four. On the sixth day, they arrived at the city and Lanky had come to a decision. The praise took place at Drop's palace, in an inner cobbled courtyard where a magnificent stone-hewn fountain and basin had stood, probably from time immemorial. The water was the bluest thing Red had ever seen. It seemed bottomless. There were bones around the fountain, as there had been around every waterhole on the way. Lanky, sidled up to Red. I've been thinking, he whispered. We've got to do something before, before we're completely gone. 
Red sighed. Well, I'm not saying you're wrong, but what? I've an idea, said Lanky, standing up straight. He walked to the fountain. The members of the tribe tensed and became very attentive. The ancient nearly said something. Half-nose looked ready to pounce. Lanky held up his hands and grinned. Standing with his knees nearly touching the low stone wall of the basin, he unholstered his searer and fired it into the water. The effect was volcanic. The water exploded upward and came back down like hard rain, drenching them all. This was an unknown and nightmarish experience to the tribe. With a roar of rage, Half-Nose and Handsome sprung on Lanky. After a short tussle, where he gave as good as he got, they managed to disarm him, and Half-Nose threw the seer away as though it were about to bite him, which for all he knew it was. In time, Half-Nose would learn all about seers. As the Ancient and most of the others screamed in terror, Curls grabbed Red by the hands in a proprietary manner. Red let herself be pulled away from the hole. The surface of the pool bubbled from the seer shot, but the heaving of the waters would not abate. After a few minutes, it became clear that it was now rippling on its own. It boiled. It whirled. Then it became quite still much too quickly. A woman rose out of the water. She was naked and perfectly shaped. Her skin was pale, tinged with blue. She was very tall and supple with nipples of turquoise and eyes of liquid jade. Her long hair was made of waves. An aroma of rose water clung to her. The tribespeople were on their knees, gibbering. This was not how the praise usually began. Half-nose and handsome pushed Lanky down to the ground, roughly, and they knelt on either side of him. Both kept a hand on him, holding him down by the shoulders. Lanky no longer struggled. Praise drop, said the ancient eagerly his voice cracking. They all repeated the words, even Red. All except Lanky. Praise her for her kindness. The woman with the cascading hair smiled. Her teeth had a nacreous glint. Praise her for her generosity. Praise her for her justice. The ritual was very long. It culminated in a repetition of the phrase, Drop, love us. Then, silence. Drop basked in it. I do, she said at length in a mellifluous, fluting voice. I do love you all. Who am I? You You are are Drop, they answered as one. Somewhere, far away, Outside the walls of the city, the eyeless birds squawked as though in assent. What am I? You are life! Lanky could not take it any longer. You're a... an... an anomaly! He shouted. No, that was not quite the word. He shook in frustration. The tribe held its breath. Drop turned to Lanky with an indulgent grin. Ah, there's the one. Has he blasphemed? They needed a second to process the question, but they got there. Yes! Should he be punished? That one was easy. Yes! Drop shot out of the water like a geyser, and glided back down over the rim of the stone basin. She walked slowly to Lanky. His guards let go of him as though his skin were burning hot. 
Lanky stood up defiantly. Drop sighed and took him into her arms. Oh, he struggled. He bit and he kicked and he shrieked. But she was very strong and apparently very happy. Suddenly, the moment of change was impossible to discern, but there it was. She was entirely made of water, a human-shaped sarcophagus of flowing water, and Lanky was inside, and he was drowning. He flailed and clawed at his mouth and face, but he was wearing her, and his hands closed on nothing but his own water-covered flesh. His eyes bulged and his nostrils flared as he tried to breathe, and the water that was drop flowed in and out of his body. He was screaming, and his voice seemed to come from the depths of the ocean. They all watched this, maddened with terror, and Red could not even remember her friend's name. Drop turned, the dying man inside her, his movements weakening, and she walked back into the water. A few minutes after she disappeared, the dead man's body bobbed to the surface. His skin was blotched and bloated, as though he had been underwater for days. Glassy-eyed, he drifted in a slow spiral. The voice of Drop floated out of the water. You can drink now. Five. The following months were busy ones for Red. There were praises in the city. There were punishments, mostly at the waterholes. These were not fatal, but that was only down to Drop's whimsical ways. There was foraging for food. There was hunting, for rats mainly, but she was surprised to realize that the blind birds that screamed like lost souls made for good eating. And they were not that difficult to catch, for obvious reasons. There was the dread of drop, and the gratitude for drop. And always, there was the thirst. The searing, crippling thirst, unquenched by the moisture from the blue flowers. There was the terror at each unearned drink. These thefts were necessary. It was not possible to survive when drinking only when drop gave permission. But they made one's nights restless. Now and again, Red's sense of identity came back, unbidden. Not for very long, and much remained murky, but she suddenly knew that she was moth, that Flea was dead, that the notes were broken. She understood what most of the remaining items in her mission pouch were, and how they worked. Then it all went away again. A year and a half after she'd first arrived at the waterhole, one of these periods of lucidity finally coincided with a rupture close by. Slashes of what appeared to be Greco-Roman Egypt curled and eddied some two hundred meters away from the hole of the mouse where the tribe was camped out. Moth pulled a small marble-like object out of her stained pouch, and holding it tight in her fist, she sprang into a desperate dash. She composed the message as she ran. She stepped through the rupture, ignoring the stares and the cries of the people in the busy market. Apologizing in Coptic, she scanned the area, hurried along the street, and disappeared behind two low buildings. She did not know how much time she had. She couldn't escape through here, but she could leave something behind, something designed for that. Frantically, she buried the postrestante pod in the sand, a few seconds before the rupture drifted past her, and she was back in Drop's bleak desert. The message read, Cut off. Flee dead. Not myself. Moth. Six. Cicada and Butterfly didn't recognize Moth when they stepped off the slide. Moth did not recognize them either, to be fair. 
The mouth-watering smell did ring a bell way at the back of her mind, but no more. She was filthy and haggard. Her figure had contracted and transformed into something harder and more angular. Her suit was in tatters and had been tied and retied over her breasts and belly. Her hair was stiff and matted, and it was almost impossible to determine that its natural color was a deep, alluring red. Her cheek was bruised. Cicada's heart broke. It's her, she whispered to Butterfly. She waved sadly at Moth, who scowled and took a step back, looking to her sisters and brothers for support and protection. Butterfly's answer died in his throat when, overhead, a bird howled. He ran his trembling fingers through his neat, shiny black hair. He was one of the youngest at the net, and he liked his good looks. I'll take your word for it. Looks like her, I guess, under all that. I've said all of two words to her since I got the job. Collection told me they keep guys who inherit old labels away from regular partners until everyone's comfortable with a new setup. I don't suppose Collection felt Moth was ready. Collection's an ass, Cicada sneered. Moth can deal with anything. Butterfly let it go. Composing herself, Cicada called out. Mart, you okay? You looking rough, girl. No response. No sign of recognition. Cicada was surprised at how upset this made her feel. After all, she'd been playing hard to get in the face of Moth's obvious infatuation for years. It's me, Cicada, and the new butterfly. Moth's features went from inscrutable to hostile. She turned to her mates, and they all began talking amongst themselves in a low voice. Cicada, never mind her now. The notes. Something in Butterfly's tone made Cicada turn to him and pay attention. The notes, they don't work. And we can't slide back, I just checked. That's what she meant by cut off. Well, damn, muttered Cicada. She started absently playing with one of her large gold earrings. She was from the islands, and that meant three things. Great swimmer, impeccably groomed eyebrows, and a fondness for gaudy jewelry. It's all down to finding the discrepancy, then. What else can be causing this? We'll need to work quickly. She doesn't know who she is. The honers won't work forever, Cicada. We took just the one dose. If we forget who we are, the entire net will eventually have to show up here. We have at least three days, said Cicada. Did you ever wonder why we do things the way we do them? Teams of two, limited engagement? I mean, we could just send an army every time. I was thinking budget? Cicada laughed out loud before she could stop herself, startling everyone. Her brown cheeks flushed to a rather pretty damask. She waved at the tribe again, feeling stupidly giggly. Yes, that's part of it, obviously. But mostly, it's because on this side of the slide, we become almost as much of a discrepancy ourselves as the ones we hunt. We straight-line bigger problems, sure. But in the long run, the worlds don't like us walking about divisions where we don't belong either. Come on. She began walking toward the tribe, hands open, Palms out. Butterfly grunted in annoyance, but did the same. Hello, she said, looking at all of them, one after the other. We're the new guys. I'm Cicada. That's Butterfly. Do you think you can tell us what we need to know? About this place, I mean. Her deep brown eyes sought Moth's lost yellow ones, and she smiled at her with all the beguiling energy she'd withheld for years at NetHouse, because she was too young, because Moth was too old, because Moth was too serious, because Cicada was too stupid. Moth blinked, stammered, blushed. Oh, there was something there, all right. They all sensed it. Both Curls and Handsome felt little pangs of diffuse jealousy. How about you, sugar? Cicada asked Moth, hands on hips, forward 
shameless. Think you're up to helping Butterfly and me? They did not, in fact, have three days. By the time they understood what was going on, the honers had stopped working, and they no longer knew that they understood what was going on. There was drop. There was the thirst. Moth was the new head of the tribe. And Cicada and Moth were as close as they ever would be again in their lives. 7. Cicada woke up snuggled close to Moth under their senator's blanket, which was how she had spent all her nights in forever. And oh, how good that was, she thought as sleep evaporated. In spite of everything, how good it was to sleep next to this woman, to curl around her, to feel the warmth of her belly under her fingers. But God, how she stank. How they both stank. Like sour milk poured over infected wounds. She blinked and sat bolt upright. Moth shifted and grumbled in her sleep. Cicada had never noticed the smell before, had she? Well, she'd smelled it, but she hadn't minded it, had she? Because that was the way things were. But not now. Not just now. Just now, she knew exactly who she was. Apparently, the discrepancy could not control the distension perfectly all the time. Cicada refused to reflect on just how long ago she'd lost even up to her name. They all called her crazy now. Butterfly was Maine. Moth was Red, and Red was the chief now, more or less. For everyday things, they all deferred to her. Even half knows, bless him. She had no idea how long she had. How long they had. Perhaps all three of them would be back to their old identities at the same time. She bent over Moth and whispered in her ear, Mott? Mott, wake up. Who's Moth? mumbled Moth, her irritated voice thick with sleep. No, only Cicada back to Cicada then, in all likelihood. God, she was so thirsty. She felt weak from the thirst. Push through. No time. She bent over Moth again and kissed her, ignoring the stench, willing her stomach to remain inside of her. Red, she murmured. Listen to me, Shug. Listen to me and don't freak out. Red's eyes snapped open, and she was alert. You could take the girl out of the net. We're getting rid of drop. Today, in the next few minutes, don't talk. Don't tell the others. They'll only turn on us. Cicada began searching through her pouch. Red was staring at her, wide-eyed, enormous-eyed, but she didn't freak out. Are you serious? That woman, the heart, the brain on that woman, and she was so beautiful. She always had been. How had Cicada been able to ignore it all those years back at Nethouse? How had she worked next to her for so long and not gone mad? More to the point, why? She didn't even have the excuse of not knowing. There had been that one time on the boat. So what the hell was wrong with her? Well, no more. I'm serious, she said. None of this is right, Red, and we have just a little time to try and do something about it. Red looked at Crazy. She stared at her Crazy, her heart swelling inside her chest. What's happened to you, babe? Who's Moth? You'll know when we're done. You'll just know. Trust me. Red smiled, unsure, feeling as though they were both in someone else's dream. Well, there was nothing for it. If Crazy said they were getting rid of Drop, then they were getting rid of Drop. Cicada laughed softly. I love you. She opened her hand to show Red the divisional garrote. The serious charge was much too low to kill the discrepancy. It would have to be the garrote. Red took it gingerly, 
let it slither through her fingers, marveled at the way it glinted in the dim light of the barely risen sun. Do you remember? asked Cicada. Red shook her head, chagrined. Don't worry about it. When it's time, you use those big strapping arms of yours to wrap this around Drop's neck. You stick your foot into her back, and you pull until your shoulders are about to pop. That sounded mad, but Red was ready to go along with it. It was that sort of a morning. Indeed, life under Drop made her itch for that sort of a morning. Let's go, said Cicada, taking Red's hand in hers and giving it a squeeze. They walked together to the very edge of the water hole. Being there and not hurrying felt unnatural. The eyeless birds were perched in the top branches of the tree, though for once they kept quiet. Cicada still felt observed by the abominations, but how the hell was that even possible? I need you to keep your wits about you, all right? Because what must be done, you'll have to do on your own. Where are you going? Oh, I'll be here, helping you as best I can, just by being here. That makes no sense. Stay with me, said Cicada, a trans-dimensional echo. I won't lie to you, it's going to look bad. But trust me, I'll be okay. I'll be just fine. Crazy, I don't understand. Don't even try. Just let yourself act when it's time. You'll know when. You'll know how. She took Red in her arms, let her hands slide down Red's back to the beginning of that outward curve, and they kissed. Then crazy, Cicada, she knew she was Cicada, best act now while she still knew it, took out the nearly depleted Sira. She flicked the safety off. She shot into the water. The ground shook. She threw the seer aside and ran, screaming, into the water. She ran, splashing, until there was water up to her midriff. Under Red's astonished gaze, Cicada took three small breaths, exhaled forcefully, then took one deep, gulping breath and dived. She sliced through the surface of the water and disappeared a hubbub behind Red. The tribe was oozing up to her, amoeba-like. Did crazy, said Maine in a disbelieving voice, did she, is she in the water? Yes, yes, she is. Maine was stupefied. Such a thing was like seeing the sun rise at midnight. There's a reason she's called crazy, marveled the ancient. Curls nodded sagely. The ground shook again, and they all scuttled, caterwauling, back to the camp, leaving Red alone on the rim of the hole. After a pregnant pause, Drop emerged from the water. Crazy was inside her. She was being punished, and after such an offense, there was no doubt that Drop would only release her when she was dead. Crazy's eyes were open, and bore directly into Red's own. When she knew they had made contact, her eyelids closed. And she was smiling. Inside her watery shell, Crazy was smiling. She was holding her breath. Red braced herself. Drop was climbing out of the waterhole slowly with a keening squeal of rage. The discrepancy had not appeared this angry in years. She ignored Red as she stepped down to the ground. Crazy's body followed the discrepancy's every movement, limp as a ragdoll, expending as little energy as she could. Red came a drop from the side. The divisional garrote flashed as Red threw it around drops and Crazy's throat. Drop didn't quite realize what was happening until Red lifted her foot to brace it against the discrepancy's back. Red suddenly understood what Crazy had meant. 
I'll be helping you just by being there, she had said. Red's foot went through the sheet of water that was dropped and stopped when it rested along Crazy's spine. The divisional garage, though, that didn't go through drop's liquid form. The discrepancy's screams rose to an intolerable pitch. Red pushed as hard as she could against Crazy's back with her leg, praying she wouldn't snap her in two, and pulled. Drop's screams cut short to a wet gargle, and then she understood where this was going. The discrepancy flailed and thrashed and lurched, trying to turn round and reach back to dislodge Red. Inside her, Crazy let herself loll about. In a flash, Red saw that Crazy's life depended on one thing, time. So she pulled until her shoulders were about to pop. Gurgling trans-elemental curses drop undulated, palpitated, swelled and quivered until, in one liminal moment, she lost all form and torrented down with one last horrible imprecation back into the churning waterhole. Moth stood there stupidly, throttling Cicada for a second. Moth let go of the garrote and caught Cicada before she crumpled to the ground. Cicada's eyes rolled, then she started to wheeze and cough and spew mucus everywhere. Moth caught the worst of it on her face and neck, but the gunk meant life and an ending, and she welcomed it. They both sat down, heavily, on the rim of the hole, their feet in the shallow, settling water. The tribe was staring at them from a distance, as lost as they had ever been. A bird shrilled what sounded like a question. (coughs) Told you, gasped Cicada her lips curled high and wide in triumph. Told you I'd be okay. (laughs) Champion diver, me. Eight. Three years, groused Butterfly. Three goddamned years zonked out in this private zoo by my reckoning. Collection will have a fit when he twigs. We have a good case for a hell of a danger pay bonus. Procedures will have to be reviewed. They were all of them at the waterhole, every member of the tribe, drinking so much they couldn't drink anymore. That was an experience most of them had never had before. They hardly knew what to do with it. They drank the water. They swam in it. They scrubbed at their flesh and marveled at the real colors underneath. Later they would ask, what now? But in the meantime, not being thirsty and not being afraid, went a long way. Procedures and protocols are always being reviewed, said Moth, drying her hair with a blanket. She gave it a desultory pull. Untangling it was probably out of the question. Most of it would have to be cut. Well, a short-haired Moth would be a novel sight. Some new insane thing always eventually happens. That's not Collection's fault. Collection can be a prig, but he's not actually trying to get us killed. What about the tribe? asked Butterfly as he observed them splashing about the waterhole like children at a birthday party. We're kind of back to ourselves, more or less, but these people were born here, I think. They have no selves to go back to. I say we recommend they get washed clean, said Cicada. No memories outside of basic identity patterns. We can ask them where they want to drive for the rest of their lives. If they don't know, and I'm guessing that's likely, Collection can choose for them. Yes, they can't stay here, agreed Moth. There won't be a here when we leave. This place is a boil on the face of the worlds, and it needs to be lanced. It won't get any worse now the discrepancy has been straight-lined, but it won't get any better either. These ruptures are as bad as any I've ever encountered. They can even apply at the net, added Cicada. I've an idea Half-Nose will jump at the chance. He's clever. He might even make it. He can get the flea label. Moth winced. Flea had not been a favorite of hers, but he'd been one of the guys. And he had gone down, looking more honorable than she would ever have believed. What a mess. 
The clean-up would just be a hosing down. If she were to guess, she would say there was no way to get the discrepancies' remains into the vial. They were nowhere and everywhere in the waterhole, a homeopathic corpse the tribe was now bathing in. And the rites for flea would have to be performed without even a relic. What a mess. In the end, we all get washed and dried anyway, don't we? said Butterfly. Flea didn't, said Moth darkly. Well, if we make it to retirement, I mean. Not everyone does, I suppose. Collection doesn't get washed, Moth said. Cicada scratched at a badly healed scar on her upper arm. Who wants to be collection? She grumbled wearily. Butterfly, do you mind placing the call? said Moth. Tell Collection everything. Don't forget to mention Flea went down valiantly. I want that in the report. And let him know we're sending six severely traumatized people to be washed and dried. Tell him to be extra nice about it. Full psych team for the remodeling. Have tea ready or something. Butterfly nodded and made a note. He was surprised at just how much he appreciated being able to do that. No clean-up team? We just wipe the whole thing down to a singularity? Yes. If Collection kicks up a fuss about it, began Cicada. Good God! exploded Butterfly. I'd like to see him try. After three blimming years in this hole, I'd like to see him even try to get precious about it. Moth chuckled. You know, I was very close to your predecessor. I think you'll live up to the name. Butterfly flushed. His eyes gleamed, and he turned abruptly. I'll go place the call, he croaked and walked away. A very long pause. Moth and Cicada looked at one another. The scene of the waterhole was bedlam, yet they were alone in the worlds. Moth cleared her throat. She looked frightened. Three years, Cicada. Was that whole thing at the start just a way to gain my trust? Cicada began to weep. She shook her head. It was almost impossible to see. Moth was suddenly near to tears herself. Would you like to swing by my room later tonight? She asked. Cicada came to her, nestled in her arms, and kissed her. The kiss was absurdly shy. We can have a bath, Moth whispered. This is Vincent Lauzon. I hope you enjoyed this fourth episode of The Moth Collection. If you did, by all means tell people about it. I'd be grateful beyond measure. And come visit the website, which has a bunch of fun things and extras. The address is in the show notes. After two episodes of discrepancies being less than monstrous on the whole, I thought it would be cool to remind ourselves that they can, in fact, be pretty awful. If you thought there was something reminiscent of C.L. Moore's stories in the atmosphere to this one, well... I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. The Moth Collection is written and read by Vincent Lauzon. Production by Transuranic. I hope you'll be back in two weeks for another episode of The Moth Collection. Hi everyone, I'm Tong. I'm Sam. And I'm Laura. And we are... Disney-dummies! Look, we know there are Disney super fans out there, but even the superest of fans could still be Disney dummies. That's why the three of us are on a quest to watch every single animated theatrical release in chronological order. 
from Snow White all the way to whatever's out right now. We dive into each movie in detail, talking about fun facts, talking about the animation, hit you with some hot takes, our favorite reviews on the internet. We even talk about who fucks. I still can't believe that's an actual segment. So join us every second Wednesday for another episode of Disney Dummies. And Pixar Pals when we finally catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Brought to you by the fairy tale whimsical depths of the Podcavern.